Today, she will share practical tools for families um, and dealing with these tough issues. So please welcome Jennifer. Good morning. What a wonderful turnout. Boy, you have a really active parent population, it looks like. That's terrific at a school. Um, before we start, thank you, Megan. It's really nice to be here. And I want to give a special mention to our teen volunteers that have offered to be here that are going to make this presentation so much richer. I mean, they're the highlight of this presentation. So I really encourage you when you have questions for them to ask because, you know, you can hear from experts all the time, but what do the kids really think? What's really going on in the front lines? And that's what these guys are here for. So we have juniors and seniors that have volunteered to be part of the panel. Um, I also wanted to ask you, how many sixth grade parents do we have here today? Terrific. How about seventh? Wonderful. Eighth? And then high school, ninth? Tenth? Eleventh? And twelfth? That's wonderful. We have a really good cross-section. And you parents, you sixth graders and seventh grade parents, that's terrific because, you know, one thing about the drug and alcohol conversation with our kids is we have to start early. The research really says start as early as fourth grade to talk to your kids about it. And, you know, it can be something as simple as third and fourth grade. It's like blueberries are good for your brain and drugs aren't so good. Illegal drugs are not so good for your brain. <laughs> You know, like really simple stuff. But just to start acquainting them with the concept that we want to take care of our brains. That's the real um, focus of our nonprofit, is that we teach the kids in the classroom about the brain development, particularly for adolescents, and how deleterious it is to use substances to flood the brain when it's in this developing mode with substances. And they get very... Um, proficient in talking about this. So we're really proud of that part of the curriculum. Today... Um, we're going to go through understanding current trends. What kinds of drugs are your kids going to see or are they seeing in high school? And starting as early, typically as eighth grade, you have kids experimenting. You know, and I'd like to say a wonderful school like this is probably you don't you have less use, but really across the board in all high schools now we're seeing use of drugs. So um, I'll acquaint you with some statistics that we found in this community in La Jolla, not in this particular school because private schools don't give out that information typically, so it's public school information, and also some um, public schools up in Marin County where it's kind of like a, it's like a privately funded public school. The public schools up there are almost like private schools, if you will. So you get some data on use, which will sort of terrify you. We'll talk about what drugs kids are using, right? And it's going to be, you'll talk about weed, we'll talk about juuling, which you should all be um, very familiar with these terms, alcohol, of course, a little bit of Adderall, sharing what kind of drugs kids are using. Adderall is it a stimulant that's very effective for ADHD, but kids are now sharing that to do well, supposedly, on their SATs or an exam or something. It's really much more um, prevalent in college than it is in high school, but it does go on. I'll have a little bit, too, on stimulants, on cocaine, MDMA, Molly, so you learn about all these things. And I want to certainly give you some resources so you guys can study up on this. Because one thing that really doesn't work for kids is to tell them not to do 
not to do something when you know nothing about it. They're really good at picking up on hypocrisy. And if you're just sort of that scared parent, well, no, that's really bad for you. You know, guess what? They're going to say, that's screw you. That's exactly what I'm going to do. So we really need to be smart about this and educated. So when they say, well, why not? You can have an educated conversation about it. You know, when they say, well, everybody else is doing it, what do you say to them? So we'll be able, you can ask me some specific questions as we move forward. I'm glad we finally have our handouts, so you'll have those to keep too. First, we're going to do a little walk down memory lane. You all remember this ad in the 80s, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, do you have any questions? Well, what we said to our kids was no. Don't ask any questions. And we had programs in the classroom that reflected this, um, this philosophy. Things like DARE and the Nancy Reagan, just say no. So that was really the approach in the 80s. We don't talk about this. Just don't do them. And what we found is it didn't work very well, kind of to my point about parents, you know. You have to talk about this. Kids are curious. And they're going to they're gonna get the answers on their own. And now we have the internet, and they get all kinds of answers on the internet. So you better, we better do a much better job in talking to them about it and not being scared of the topic, because it is terrifying. Drugs are what take kids down. I mean, particularly affluent kids down. They, take, they disappear from the school campus. They're off in wilderness. They're in a whole other program. They're in a whole other track. So the last thing you want is to have a child that's addicted to drugs. Um, now we have advertising like this, delivering more joy than dogs and babies combined. You can get marijuana delivered to your door. This is a billboard from the Bay Area where I live. So, you know, the landscape has really changed. And what do we do? I mean, it's confusing for kids, confusing for parents how things have just changed. What do we do with this? You know, weed is legal. I mean, oh my gosh, it's kind of terrifying for parents. Um, so at ADEPT, what we've decided to do with this problem is deliver an evidence-based curriculum. We talk a lot about the, you know, the science of brain development, of course, that the adolescent brain develops when they're now we're learning into their 30s, really late. And for those boys, sorry, but it can take a really long time. How about those men, anyway? <laughs> on that. Um, and the delay, delay, delay is a motto that we use a lot. Kind of like with your kids, you know, I have a daughter who's now 23, but I remember when she was a freshman in high school, she said to me, so mom, when did you use this stuff? And luckily, you know, I had my nonprofit and I was kind of ready for, for the answer, but I recommend that all of you get that answer right in your head now because the last thing you need to do is kind of fumble around looking for your keys and your phone and, you know, you really need to answer them straight on. They're, and the when is a real tip-off. When is like, should I do this? You know, when did you do it? Because she was getting, it was high school and she felt like a lot of her friends, she was in that wonderful popular group. It was horrible. Anyway, so she was getting a lot of pressure, you know, about, using friends and so forth. And um, I mean, I'll just segue into that for a minute. My answer was, you know, I waited a long time because I was kind of scared of this stuff. I mean, altering your brain and stuff. And we didn't even know much about it, but there's something about it to me that kind of scared me. So I waited until late high school, college. She's like, wow. you know. But I said, yeah, but I'm really glad I did because you know, now you know the issues. All the, all the reasons that you're maybe choosing not to use and you've waited are things that I didn't even know back then. We didn't know about the developing brain. We didn't know how it affected your memory. And oh my god, my memory is bad enough now. Can you imagine? 
imagine if I had used a lot of substances. So, you know, it satisfied her enough. And having that, that boundary, so your parents are saying, you have someone that's saying, you know, you can wait and it's just fine. And it's kind of the delay is, you know, this stuff's always going to be there. You can, you might want to use it at some point. You might want to try it, but like now is a really bad time because you're learning. You're in school. You need, you know, we we know that you will have goals, and this is not a way to reach those goals. This is a bad time. Why don't you just wait? It's kind of like the AA adage of you know, just take it a day at a time. And kids can buy that much more than don't you ever do this. You know, if it's the why don't you just wait and think about it? And you know, we can talk about. It. I'm happy to talk about this whenever you want, but maybe now is not the best time. Maybe you and that. You know, that kind of satisfied her, and I think kids are okay if it's not so black and white. You know, the no, you can't do this. They often do the opposite. That's what adolescents do. So why don't we instead have discussions about it, honest discussions, which I'm really going to promote you guys to do. So back to what are kids using. Well, the first thing that teens are using, the huge, are you all familiar with jeweling? I mean, you can't read the paper these days without hearing about the jewel companies being sued or kids trying to get off the jewel, off nicotine because it's so terribly addicting. So this is a huge use factor on the horizon now. We have, jeweling is up 70%. Uh, over the last year, 3.6 million kids using this, oftentimes starting in middle of middle school because it's a novelty. I mean, we're going to get more into the jewel and exactly what it is, but it's really vaping nicotine. So what we have, we're worried about is a generation of kids are going to soon be addicted to cigarettes because, you know, it's expensive, more expensive to jewel and buy the little device and everything than it is to, to buy cigarettes. So real concerns, and being addicted to nicotine, nicotine's as addicting as heroin. It really is. It is so hard to get off. And I see it with these kids in my practice that are like, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out my jewel. I'm not going to use it. And it's really, really hard. We don't have cessation programs yet now in recovery centers for you know, not smoking. We have you know, heroin and we have a lot for weed because we have a lot of kids now addicted to weed. It's a big, that's what most of our recovery centers are full of, are kids addicted to weed. Um, but we really haven't tackled the whole jewel issue and it's just growing every day. Um, so that is a big, this, this is a national number. These numbers don't look that high. Frankly, c compared to what I see in high schools, what typically you see in high schools, 27%. We have here 12th graders. I, I think, don't you guys think that's a little low? 30%? I know, it's very prolific. Okay, so we're going to move on to some of the other, other drugs that are popular. And this, is, again, is a national, national numbers. You don't have alcohol in here. We have, you can see marijuana is way out there. A lot of kids using marijuana. And the one piece that's interesting here, 71% of high school seniors do not view regular marijuana smoking as being harmful. This is huge because we look at perceptions of harm. If, it, if someone thinks something is harmful, they're not going to do it. If they think it's, you know, oh, it's just weed, it's an herb, you know, it's safe, it's legal, I mean, come on, there's nothing wrong with this stuff, then you have more kids using it, because they're like, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is, it's not so fine because of the way they're using it and what marijuana is now versus back in the 60s and parent day. It's not the peace loved of 1% THC, it's the 80% THC, the factor that gets you high because of the way they're using it, which we're going to get into when we talk about cannabis. 
Um, okay, these are some numbers from Marin County, Tamalpais Union High. This is a sort of like private public schools up there in very affluent areas. And you can see the use numbers are alarmingly high. Um, and if you scan down here, what concerns me as much as the use is the, um, the experience, experiencing chronic sadness and uh, considering suicide. I mean, we have kids now that are seriously depressed in, in um, high school and as early as ninth grade. And you know, this is a big concern. This is about talk to your kids, know your kid well. So you notice if they're sad, you notice that their sleeping habits have changed, you notice that their friend group has changed, you notice that they're dropping their activities. I mean, that is a really, and these kids of course, um, are susceptible to use because who wants to feel down and hopeless and helpless? Nobody. When you feel lonely and down and flat, you know, drugs are really appealing. So if you have a child where you think they're just, they're just not very happy, they're just kind of off, you know, pay attention to that. Talk to them. Maybe you need professional help even. I mean, that's, that can really go a long ways versus having them use drugs and get addicted to drugs, you know. Like these kids are reaching out saying, hey, we're really unhappy. And then these are numbers from San Diego Unified. Um, and the numbers are, now they don't, they don't have the same survey we do up in Marin, so they're not showing us the numbers that we have in the different categories. And this is offered, sold, or given illegal drugs at school. Now 10%, those numbers aren't as high obviously, but still if they're, if they're using this stuff at school, you can imagine when they really use it is on the weekend. So, um, and again, we have the chronic sadness and hopelessness. And your school is a different entity, and I completely get that. But I just think it's important to be aware of what kinds of numbers we're seeing for kids using. It's not just a little teeny pocket. It's quite, um, you know. Now, back to vaping, when I talked about jeweling. The center panel is a picture of the jewel. It's the size of a little, size of a little USB. I mean, it's the size of this little piece right here fitting in my computer. They're really tiny. And what's inside this jewel is a little burning device that burns the juice, this stuff off to the left that you see, and there's a thousand different flavors of the juice, which is appealing to kids because you have things like, you know, mango and pineapple upside down cake and, you know, cinnamon toast, whatever it is. So all these different flavors. So that's really cool. And then, of course, you have the nicotine, and the unit has a little burning unit, and it's released as vape, as vaporizing. So that's really what the jewel is. It's incredibly tiny, which makes it hard for parents. You might even not even see it. Your kid has it sitting out. You don't even you think it's part of the computer or something. So what does it look like? How are they using it in classrooms? It's really hard for teachers because we do this thing where you take a hit there in your sleeve. So, you know, they cough and take a hit of the jewel. So this is happening... Um, I mean, I will say, and I think it's, you know, teachers have to be really educated about it. Parents have to be educated about it because it's really hard to find these devices. And a lot of kids are using them. This device on the right, the mod, is different from the Jewel. I, I talk about the Jewel a lot because that's the most prevalent device that kids are using. That's what they're really using is the Jewel. That's the most popular. The mod is a larger device and with that you can titrate down the nicotine so they, you know, they argue, oh this is the way people can quit smoking, right? Because you can put in lower levels of nicotine and then you gradually quit smoking. And I will say in all honesty, I've had people I've worked with that have gotten off, you know, cigarettes through Jeweling, but 
they're doing some studies on this. I don't think the numbers are as high as those numbers for our youth that are getting addicted to nicotine. Do you guys have any comment on Julian or anything that you, I've, I've said you want to keep me honest here <laughs> so I missed or not gotten right? I always find these guys are helpful. <clears throat> also, one thing about the, the mod thing, a lot of people, what I've seen is they, because sometimes like jewel pods, they, are, they tend to be kind of expensive. So what people do is to save money, they buy one of the pods and then they just get uh, a refill of juice, which is basically just a bunch of nicotine in a bottle. And they can pour it in the mod thing and it like saves money over time. Yeah. That's, that's like what kind of so industrious are kids, you know. <laughs> so resourceful. <laughs> yeah. Um, you guys know when you buy them how much they are online? Or you, can, <laughs> you can go. You can go right across the street and get one. Yeah, you can go right. No, seriously, I'm gonna say like twenty bucks. Is that too high? About that? Yeah, something like that. Twenty bucks for like a pack of four pods. So something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not nothing. I also. I'm sorry. Did you? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I also um, agree when you asked us if the numbers seem a little low on the dueling in general, and also dueling at school, I feel like, is a little more of an issue than, like, not in class, but, like, people use the bathrooms and stuff. Right, the bathrooms. Yeah, really good point. I hear that a lot from these kids. They don't want to go to the bathroom anymore because everyone's in there. It's like a hot box. Everyone's dueling. You might have heard that from your kids. Yeah. Twenty-one. Yeah, however, <laughs> getting them online is super easy. Getting them, I mean, literally across the street, you can go and get them, I understand, from your little convenience store. So convenient. Okay, so, yes? Just one other thing for the parents to know. They're, and I don't know if you mentioned this, they're charged on your computer. Right. So on a laptop and on your hard drive, they look like a little thumb drive. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, good point. That's how they're... So that's if you're looking for it. It might be around your kid's computer or something. Um, and the thing about the Juul is that it emits a lot of nicotine. This slide shows you up to 60 milligrams, yet in the European Union, they only allow 30 milligrams. So the Juul is not even... is outlawed in the European Union. We're strutting around with 60 milligrams, so we've done it really well here. Very alarming. And also the chemicals that you find in a jewel, you know, um, the FDA has banned a lot of these things like arsenic and um, selenium. I could ask these smart kids what all this stuff is. I know it's nothing I want to put in my lungs. So um, not, not healthy, not good for your body. Our overall concern, again, is that we're raising a nation of kids that are getting addicted to nicotine, to cigarettes. There's a predilection. People are thinking to using other drugs because they get so used to this kind of... It's like a euphoric high they get that doesn't last very long. It's like a bump, you know? So, yeah, sort of an up and down. So they're, you know, and, some, and I should also tell you, the pod has um, about a pack of cigarettes, so about 20 cigarettes in it, one little pod. So if they smoke a pod a day, for example, which can happen, they're getting a full pack of cigarettes. Uh, it's, yes? Can I ask if the kids would be willing to say, do you think that the kids are doing it because of the high or because everyone else is doing it or you know, what the draw is to this thing? Well, what you've heard. Yeah, what you've heard. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm telling you. Um, 
from what I've heard, I think at first it's just to kind of seem cool and do what your friends are doing, and then like you, you talk about the addiction that happens, which is really tough to get off of, and then people get hooked on it, and then you can put that work out from there. I understand that like at first maybe was it because like their friends are doing it and so they're like, Oh, this is like something to try that like all my friends are doing but then after a while, like I've had friends who like say they wanted to stop but like it, they kinda tried and it didn't really work and like they can't really stop. So I think the reason does turn to addiction after the beginning. Now, I also think a lot of the times someone eventually just like tries it once at like a party or someone's doing it. I don't think students actually fully understand what is meaning. And so it's like just this thing that a lot of people do and you don't really understand that well. And so it's okay if I'm at a party and I have some a little bit to drink. So it doesn't, it's the same thing. It doesn't hurt me to do a little Yeah, question back there in the... Nicotine poisoning is more of a an addiction. I don't think we're having people dying of nicotine poisoning necessarily, like you do with alcohol. But it's it's just a really strong addiction is the best way to put it, where people can't they're getting up in the morning, they're having an immediate hit, you know. I mean that's really the poison that happens is the addiction in my mind. Unless anyone has anything. And then another question? Yeah. Well, I say what what my parents do is like a lot of times they'll send um, like articles on you know like this the new research on this rule causes like brain development issues when under the age of twenty five and and they'll just send that to like our family group chat and um, like probably like two or three times a month I'll get like articles on like you know the effects of marijuana drinking at a young age and. I guess that's like, I think giving them evidence is one of the best ways to go about it. Um, because, like we've been saying the whole time, it's just, it's easy. They're not really going to listen if you just tell them don't do it. So, like, evidence and, like, articles, I think that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, we're going to have a whole section on what parents can do, as you saw in the opening slide. And, um, you know, another, another thing I'd add on to that, that's a wonderful, um, wonderful idea, I think is, you again, you have to start really early, having these conversations early. <clears throat> you know, maybe some kid gets suspended for some drug violation, or you read about a drunk driving accident or something that involves youth, and you, you talk about your kids all the time with it, and get their opinion. You know, kids don't want to be lectured. I mean, you ask these guys, how many lectures do they get? It's really, gosh, what do you think about this? You know, I was really alarmed when I read this. Do you feel the same way? Because then you're, you're creating an environment where they can tell you what they're thinking, and they're not scared, and when they are in trouble, they'll actually come and talk to you. The reason they wouldn't tell their parents, for example, let's say you have a child and they drink at a party, and they're just 
really drunk and in bad shape. The reason they're not going to tell you is they're really scared that you're going to punish them. So instead, they choose to take a, you know, get a ride home with someone who's been drinking too, and huge accidents, huge problems can happen with drinking and driving. So if you create that environment where you really want to know what they think, and maybe they say, you know, well, I was really dumb. You shouldn't have been using at school. You can just use it at home. And then, you, you know, you have to have more. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, let's talk a little more about that. So what would that look like, using at home? You know what I mean? So you're just, you're like really making them, because their prefrontal cortex, that part of their brain that's responsible for consequences, emotional regulation, making good decisions, is not yet developed. So you help them kind of, you know, troubleshoot through this thing. So they, so maybe by the end they're going, well, maybe not at home, but, you know. And then pretty soon you're, you're helping them think through this stuff. Because oftentimes when kids try drugs, you know, they may have a value system, but it's a split-second judgment. They're at school and someone says, hey, you want to smoke? Or, you know, party, hey, you want to use this? And their, their inhibitions are down. But if they've really had some good thinking about it, and not just if you do this, you know, you're in the, you know, that kind of a thing. It's more of a, let's really talk about this. Let's talk about what, would it, what it would look like. And if you have, you know, um, I mean, they'll have plenty of stories from school if you can get them to talk about it. You know, it's great because those are really learning moments. But I think as parents, we're really ter it's really scary. So who wants to talk about this? You'd much rather talk about how they did in that lacrosse game or the really good grade they got. And, you know, and that's all part of, part of their lives. That's important stuff, too. But get some balance in there with some social-emotional learning and an environment in your household where they can talk about ups and downs and their thoughts and not be persecuted the minute they say something that, you know, that freaks you out, frankly, because it can be a little scary when you get some of these thoughts, you know. Anyway, that's a bit on parenting. We'll get more into it. Um, so cannabis. Well, this is a lovely green cannabis plant, obviously. The problem is a lot of people are not smoking cannabis the way they used to. Cannabis is a very different drug than it was back in the 60s and 70s, you know. Now it's a very hardcore psychoactive drug with kids ending up in the hospital, kids getting addicted because of the high levels of THC. And THC is that ingredient that makes you high. So as I mentioned earlier, it can be as high as 80, 90% with the edibles, which are really dangerous. If you read these articles out of Colorado. So it's the way kids are using it. They're, again, they're vaping it or dabbing it, we would call it, getting the very potent extracts of marijuana and using a vaping device, which is coming up right now. The PAX is very popular, and these items on the bottom is what, is what marijuana looks like when you dab it. They distill it down to wax and um, these different items at the bottom. So they're getting incredibly potent hits of marijuana, and they're getting addicted. And people said to me, you say marijuana is addicting? Absolutely. Because all of the all of the recovery centers that for teens now are marijuana. So it's not as simple as when people say, you know, and also we have the dispensaries and people really getting into this. Who has the best weed? You know, this is the best stuff. Kids get into this, you know, wow. So the concern is how they're using it and what they're using. Um, and that's why we're so concerned about it. This Next slide shows you how THC levels are increasing, up to 80% now when they used to be just like 20% for the flower. Um, and that's the, the orange things, the dabbing, the kind of extracts they're getting from marijuana. Any questions on marijuana or any um, ideas from our teens about this? 
Yeah. One thing I'd like to say is like you see the concentrate, the concentration of the marijuana go up, but it's not just the concentration. If you have like the oil or whatever it is, there's no like telling what's actually inside of it. So you could be smoking something way more different than just marijuana. Thank you. I, I saw this thing back. There was this video, YouTube video that like tested uh, different like how accurate the labels were, and they were like radically different than what they were displayed. So instead of like ten percent, it was like twenty-five percent. So that's like a big problem. It's a very like unregulated industry. So yeah. you really don't like know what you're buying. Yeah. Question here. Yep. So is it is it like I guess clean marijuana that you guys or is it the guy on the street selling it? Well from the dispensaries it should <laughs> in the dispensaries it should be what you're getting, the marijuana and some as you know, it's very sophisticated. On the streets, yeah, it can be it can certainly be laced with and fentanyl, even marijuana, we think about fentanyl and heroin, but fentanyl is really a big problem now. Any comments on fentanyl? Luckily, you guys have any. I would say, so in terms of the, like the, like the, what were the dabs or the? The dabbing. Like, not the actual marijuana plant itself. That comes from, like, people get that from dispensaries. So, like, there's this place down at, in La Jolla, it's called, like, Funky Monkey, and, like, and they literally don't check for ID. So, like, you can be, like, 16, walk in there, come out with, like, a or whatever. And then, for the, like, marijuana plant itself, I think that's more of a, like, the industry guy. Yeah. I think a lot of, I don't know, like, I think my fun move is someone who, like, I don't have a lot of fun to actually buy the, um, anything. Um, and so it's a lot of people getting it secondhand, so it's like that, you're basically just trusting that friend or someone that you're kind of close with to know what, but you don't actually know where they got it from, so a lot of people are kind of using things that they have no idea where it's from. Yeah. But am I wrong? It's my understanding what they sell in dispensaries is not necessarily regulated. I mean, some of the studies you talk yeah. about are on things that have been bought at dispensaries. Yeah, I mean, I think overall you're safer at the dispensary, but it doesn't mean that it's pure, you know, foolproof either. The scary thing about it. Yeah. No, that you can take it to a lab to get it analyzed, you mean? What they say it is. They're probably, knowing where we are, there probably is, but I'm not aware of it. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, good question. Um, K2, it's called, the stuff. Um, you know, it's not as prevalent now. It was prevalent. It's prevalent more in the East Coast, but we can supposedly get such wonderful weed here. It, you know, we don't need it. So I don't think many kids are using synthetic marijuana from what I hear, but it's not dangerous stuff because... Yeah. 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 
Exactly right. Yeah, dangerous. Yeah. Have you heard anything about synthetics, you guys, marijuana? No? Yeah. I don't think it's that prevalent out here. I mean, it's still there, but not as, you know, these things move so quickly. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Really true with edibles too, and then we're going to have a slide on edibles coming up in question. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. What exactly is the chemistry or the physiology that makes this easy? That make, well, it's, it's operating on your dopamine system, which is the neurotransmitter that we all have in our bodies that makes us feel so good. Whether it's like a lick of an ice cream cone on a hot day or when you're really thirsty, your body emits dopamine. And it's a very powerful, feel-good um, eating, sex, sleeping, all these things emit dopamine. But what, what these drugs do, addictive drugs, is they're socking your brain, they're flooding it with dopamine. So you eventually have this need to meet that level of dopamine. So people use more and more and they reach a tolerance level. And then what happens, which is really kind of a scary thing, is the body stops producing it. Which is true of, of some of these drugs like um, MDMA, which we'll get into a little bit, where your body thinks it's getting some such superficial flooding of it, so you flood the brain, and then it, it stops producing dopamine, so you just need the drug to feel normal, kids would say. So that's really, it's about tolerance and addiction, and it's operating on um, oftentimes dopamine, sometimes serotonin too. Yeah. Lucky that you're here today having this conversation with us, but you have a 
there's a lot of other students in the class that probably don't have these implications. So I guess you know, getting it from parents, getting it from school, how beyond your texts and uh, chats about articles and so forth, is the school communicating to your class about what we're hearing today? Or is this really up to us? Uh, a couple weeks ago, this is brought from Ms. Fournier, we had a, uh, a doctor come in, and I think it was to the 11th and 12th graders. Uh, she spoke to the 10th in the fall and the 11th and 12th a few weeks ago, and she's doing the 8th and 9th um, this month. She's from UCSD, and she um, her, her job is she's a neuropsychologist, and she studies the effect of marijuana on a teenage brain. And as a part of the Adolescent Brain and Cognitive Development Study, ABCD study, that's sort of centered at UCSD. Um, and so she's she kind of takes the approach of get informed, you know, similar to Jennifer's approach. It's just be informed before you make your choices. And so she really just has the brain scans and that this is what it looks like and this is what it looks like and lowered inhibitions and she has brain scans about that. And, uh, it's very factual. Um, and so for the feedback from, you know, the kids that I've talked to, it, it was, you know, more helpful than what we all got in the, thing I was going to say is education in the classroom is super important. That's what we do. We have a curriculum and that's what we do in the classroom. But um, also, you know, kids see what's going on with their kids. They're watching. And these kids get addicted to the jewel, as, as um, one of our teen colleagues mentioned. You know, it's real. And they see these kids saying, I want to quit, and they can't. And that kind of is a wake-up call, or seeing a kid who's been smoking a lot of weed and is just unmotivated and doesn't want to do sports, doesn't want to do anything anymore. Poorly in school, that I think is a really good way for kids to say, whoa, I don't want to go down that path. You know, they see the effects of it. So we hope we don't have too many examples of that, but they're in every school. Yeah. Is that for you guys, I think? I think no, people don't think. They think, like, you can, like, if you use these, if you're, like, drinking or, like, using different, different substances, like, as long as it's not inhibiting other parts of your life, like, it's fine. And I think that's probably the general consensus about it among the kids, which, I mean, that isn't to say that it's not doing terrible things inside the body. It might affect you years later, but it's hard for them to have the... Um, I guess, image of if I stop now, I'll be better later. It's more like if I'm doing fine now, then what's the problem? And I mean, I've heard those kids say, I'm sorry, just say one thing. I've had kids in my practice say, you know, it's so unfair. This guy's like the valedictorian, he's got really good grades. I mean, he smokes every day. And so they, it's confusing. And, and the answer is, everybody's different. Does he have the genetic predisposition? I mean, everybody's really different. So maybe that kid can pull it off for a while. And also, sometimes these things are sneaky. Maybe right now it's not a problem, but later on. You know, um, and then did you have a comment? Still performing well, so I don't see any of the inhibited performance, and so 
Yeah, it's confusing. Question there? Just a general question. It's $10 to get a drug testing kit on Amazon. Is there any data, you know, every one company drug test their employees? Is there anything about that? Well, so, you know, um, I mean, I think parents, if you have a kid and you've, which we'll talk about the groundwork, you've set the values, you said this is not okay in our family, you know, blah, 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 this is what we do as a family. You start that in middle school, it can be a, in middle school it's a black and white, you know, no, this is not okay, there's going to be a consequence. It gets trickier in high school because a lot of kids are experimenting. Most kids have tried or are going to try you know, some of these substances. So if you have a situation where you've really talked about it, you set your values, and um, your child goes out and they get really drunk, and so, and luckily, you have the arrangement where you will pick them up and not ask any questions, but you will talk about it the next day or at some point when you tuck them in bed and they're whatever, and the next day you talk about it, and, you know, they're, it's like, this is, I'm really disappointed in you. I mean, the real line you want to say to your kids is, I'm so disappointed in you. We've talked about this so many times. And, and what happened? Like, why did you make that decision? And, you know, if you have, I'm, I'm kind of um, taking this to place, but I'll get, it's getting back to your question. So the, the child may say to you, you know, yeah, I just, you know, I just really wanted to try alcohol. And, I, you know, obviously this is really hard for you. Like, you couldn't control it. And they, maybe they were throwing up and said, I don't ever want to do that again, you know, because it was horrible. So then you can say, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to monitor this. The next time you go to a party or something, we're going to talk through your plan. I mean, I'm disappointed in you. You're restricted for the weekend. We don't take their phones for two months. It's like they just hate us and they don't even know what it's for. So it's a quick, you know, for the weekend, you're on restriction. We really are going to pay more attention to what you're doing, what your plan is. If you're going to a party, there's going to be more oversight with you. And if your child then, you know, has another situation like that, and you're feeling like they're just lying to you, which they'll do if they really want to use, oh, sure, 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 I got the program, that's fine, but they just go off and do what they want to do, because kids usually do. Um, and you really feel strongly, it is not okay, drugs are not allowed in this household. I am not going to have you use them in our household. You know, um, then I think drug testing is perfectly appropriate. Kids really dislike it, but it, I've also had kids say to me, you know, it's probably just as well because I got to make it through this year and pull my grades up, so I just won't use it all this, you know, the rest of the school year. So in a way, it can kind of keep them clean if they're struggling with it. I don't think it's out of the. It's not something you do right off the bat. It's kind of um, dehumanizing and it pisses them off. You know, it's like, well, I haven't done anything wrong now, but if you if they if you don't trust them and they continue with this, I think it's perfectly appropriate. And do it randomly. And you can buy tests that just, you know, test for marijuana. You can buy tests that test for other drugs. Um, yeah, I think that's perfectly, that's, because it's really hard otherwise. You know, marijuana, there's the thing about marijuana is it's not detectable. You don't smell it anymore. You don't, um, and in fact, you know, you may smell a little more like, you know, Something nice. You're not going to smell the marijuana. So you really have to look at their eyes. You have to kind of, it's really rough. So you want to make sure they're not using it. That's important to you. I think the drug testing is appropriate. And you guys may go, no way. What do you think about that? <laughs> Any thoughts on drug testing? Um, I think, I think um, drug testing does give kids like, an excuse. So like, if they were like, at a party and someone was like, they over try this marijuana and they'd be like, I can't, my parents drug test me. So that's... That's a good excuse, yeah. yeah. Good point. 
Um, yeah, I hope we don't run out of time. I want to take all your questions. Let's let's, let's get questions. This will be the last round. Then I got to move on here. We have a lot to cover. Question. Right, if you don't want to eat, sure. Question? I cover all of that, but just to answer that quickly, um, the data is that if someone uses, under, begins to use under the age of 15, they have a fourfold chance of addiction later in life. And also, addiction is about 60% genetic and 40% um, social environment and so forth. So really, if you have any addiction in your family, you have you must talk to your kids. You must. I've had parents say, well, we don't like talking about Uncle Bill. You know, it's like, no, you pull Bill out of the closet and you talk about him all the time. <laughs> what happened to Uncle Bill? Like, let's talk about that one. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Poor guy, yeah. Yeah. Well, marijuana is linked to a late onset of schizophrenia. Now we have. I have a whole book I'm going to show you by a guy Alex Berenson, who's done a lot of research on this. So if you have any like schizophrenia, mental health, you know, I've had kids that have um, one boy that used and he went to BU and he um, decided he was going to start smoking weed. He just thought everyone's doing this, I'm going to try it. And then he came home over the break and he had this horrible psychotic break. So psychosis, um, later on set of schizophrenia, it's a real issue. And it is related to Yes, particularly marijuana. We're finding marijuana particularly. I mean, other drugs, it's addiction. and So just on edibles for a minute, extremely dangerous because someone has a bite of a brownie. It doesn't hit their bloodstream as fast, so they continue. They, they want to get the high, and pretty soon they're completely greened out, as someone would call it, and that's the best case. Greened out is when you have, your system has so much marijuana, you're kind of comatose in the corner, and you eventually throw it up, and then you kind of are okay. Otherwise, you have to go to the hospital, and um, extremely serious, you know. So this is not, I think edibles are very dangerous. If you guys ever seen any kids with edibles, this is dangerous, yeah. Um, and I see some hands going up, yeah. Saying what? Uh, for the for the identification for the marijuana for the food. Um. <laughs> yeah, packaging shows like label, label sign, mark something. 
I think the packaging really varies. I don't think it's going to be very meaningful in the packaging. You guys, on packaging of marijuana? It does say how much, how it, you know, it'll say like, oh, this is five milligrams. Yeah. But as this woman that we brought in said that, you know, she'll take, to your question and answer it, her lab will take, you know, edibles or whatever and take it back to the lab and they'll find that, oh, it said it was five milligrams but really it was 20 milligrams or, you know, so, so it's very hard to be exact about it even from the, like, fancy stores. It's not really well regulated. Yeah. Either regulation. Right. Question? <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I have a question for the students, um, which is, uh, I've, I've talked to about what goes on at the parties, and um, he gives me answers that I'm, I'm sure are basically rooted in truth in some manner. But um, I'm wondering, from a from a percentage, um, how I guess how often would you say um, substance other than alcohol, and alcohol is not great, but other than alcohol are present at the parties, and I won't tell. Him that I did. <laughs> <laughs> you said this, I'm just wondering. Um, like, in terms of like a drool, they're a bit like 100% of the time. And then um, uh, a marijuana pen, probably like 50%. I'd say higher. Yeah, yeah, probably higher. Yeah, okay. Um, so in summary, this is why we're worried about cannabis. Addiction to THC, depression, anxiety. We had Charlie talking about the friend that was using this at night to go to sleep. So kids will start off saying it's going to help me relax, but eventually they stop using because they're feeling really anxious and depressed. That's ultimately why they are motivated to stop. Um, we see cognitive impairments, which we've mentioned, learning, memory, concentration, and even structural abnormalities in the brain. So this is not a, this is a serious drug, this isn't, you know, peace, love, dub days. Um, and this is the book I mentioned by Alex Berenson, I really recommend, he's done a lot of research on the mental health concerns with marijuana, schizophrenia, as I mentioned, the psychosis piece, and the tendency for um, psychotic violent outbreaks even, he's arguing, so really sets you straight on marijuana. We're going to move on to alcohol, and the piece about alcohol is, you know, alcohol use is leveling off, apparently. It's not rising like juuling or marijuana, but it's leveling off, but the levels are so high that unfortunately it's nothing, I've never gotten very excited about it. And a big piece which we touched on is not when you have your first drink. There's a lot of research on to the, this, the earlier the kids start using, the more chance of um, having, you know, an addictive issue later in life. This is an interesting brain scan from actually UC San Diego, which um, Megan was talking about with the speaker. And this shows the uh, brain scan of two different 15-year-old girls, one of whom the heavy drinker says that she's been drunk a hundred times in her life. The non-drinker has never had a drink. They're doing like a SAT um, visual spatial kind of task that involves thinking and memory. And you can see in the left brain all the areas that are lit up. When we have something we're thinking through, our brain is busy, you know, with all these areas. Um, trying to figure out the problem. And in the right brain, all you see is one little pink dot, and the kids in the classroom are like, so what is that pink dot? What exactly is that really cute? But anyway, um, 
so we have real evidence that that alcohol is so deleterious to the teen brain and um, good reason to steer our kids away from it. Um, other trends in high school, I mentioned the study drugs, which is going to be your Adderall, sharing the Adderall. Certainly in kind of um, high pressured environments, that happens more than in other environments, other school environments. Um, opiates, you know, you're, we're not going to see these in high school typically. <clears throat> but I, I will say that kids can get opiates, heroin if they want it, they can easily get it. And I've had kids addicted to heroin that I've seen from, um, you know, really good high schools in the Bay Area, so it does happen. And um, it's really a tragedy there. The tranquilizers are going to be Xanax and sedatives. A lot of Xanax. Kids saying, I'm going to just pop a Xanax for anxiety. They're, the dangerous thing about Xanax is a, a classification called the benzodiazepine. Very, very addicting. So these are addicting drugs again. The psychedelics. A lot of curiosity about psychedelics. And um, that's going to be, you know, acid and cybicillin. Cocaine. I was asking our panel about cocaine because in the Bay Area we have a huge hit of cocaine with juniors and seniors. It's in pretty much every high school. And they said, no, they don't think that exists very much here. So that's pretty cool. That's good news on your school campus. Molly, ecstasy, and a very dangerous drug. It, this was called the... Um, like the um, the rave drug back in the 80s, you know, for dances. And it's still used really at concerts because we'll take MDMA at concerts or dances. It's a psychoactive drug, again, that makes them really talkative and feel really connected with people. So kids love this feeling, particularly kids that are kind of shy and anxious. It brings them out of their shell. They want to talk to everybody and connect and dance. Really fun because it's acting on serotonin. That's another neurotransmitter that MDMA acts on. And this study on monkeys um, shows how, how dangerous the drug can be. The monkeys on the left received their control monkeys. They got saline. The monkeys in the middle had over a two-day period, they have four dosages of ecstasy. And you can see those um, serotonin fibers are, you know, barely, barely able to see them. And then on the right, even seven years later, you have the fibers not as dense as they should be in the control monkeys. So, you know, I've witnessed this. Again, I had a kid who was addicted to ecstasy and just using this stuff like crazy all day long at school. Um, a Sonoma Academy kid, actually. And he ended up, you know, he would say to me, you know, he got off it, but he said, just nothing, nothing is fun for me anymore. The things I used to love to do, I just, I just, just no joy in anything. That's the best way to put it. So he ended up on antidepressants for literally the rest of his life. He got clean, but you know, this is not something you want to mess with. And even in a few little usages, it alters the chemical makeup of the brain. I'm not going to play this. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Jennifer Golick. She's a wonderful clinical director of an adolescent treatment center in Petaluma, Northern California. She was tragically shot in this Veterans Home Memorial um, shooting standoff up in Yauntville. A fabulous um, person. I mean, I, I just don't. I don't want to run out of time, but maybe we'll play it because she is. She's very good. 
The adolescent brain is probably the most vulnerable brain in terms of our human lifespan trajectory. Uh, in terms of during, the, during adolescence, all of the key components of the brain development that are happening are really what allows us to build on and become functional adults in terms of emotion regulation and impulse control and the ability to make good decisions, logic, reason, all of those things are under, con under construction during adolescence. And so if you have this very fragile, vulnerable brain that is being flooded by substances, poisons essentially, because the, the body doesn't think of alcohol or marijuana or Xanax as being fun, its body perceives it as being a poison. Hence why if you drink too much, you throw up. It's your body's feeling like it needs to get rid of this poison that's flooded its system. So you have this very vulnerable brain that's now being flooded by toxins and poisons. And there is research that's showing that there's short-term and long-term structural and neurological damage that can occur as a result of it. And so if you delay using substances until after that brain is fully formed, you have a much lower risk of developing addiction and you have a much lower risk of experiencing long-term cognitive and neurological consequences. Statistically speaking, if someone starts beginning to use substances at or around the age of 12, they have about a 90% chance of developing substance use disorder or addiction as adults. Okay, guys, I know you're getting pretty depressed with this information. <laughs> You gotta like. We're gonna tell you what you can do and what can be done in the classroom. I'll talk to you, I'll talk to you just quickly about being adept in the classroom and what we do. Our curriculums for sixth through sophomore um, year in high school, and this this is a little slide on the sixth graders creating their dream brain, what their goals are, which is kind of cute. We talk about how your brain's so important, what do you want to do, and how drugs get in the middle of it. Um, the lessons that we offer, there's eight different lessons for each different grade. They vary, you know, and some, like the, the um, sixth graders aren't going to get uh, stimulants or opiates, but they will get things like stress busters, and we do talk to them about marijuana. So um, overall, it's, you know, that's something that can be done in the classroom, and as, as Megan mentioned, bringing speakers in is really good too. Um, now we're going to get into what you guys can do, because I know this is like, now you're saying, okay, we've got this huge problem, what do we do, lady? <laughs> um, and I think the first thing is you really have to get your value system around this. Obviously, we have a wonderful turnout today. You guys are all concerned about it, but how serious are you? You know, like we had one parent asking, you know, do we drug test? I mean, if this is really something you feel strongly about, there's some parents that have this attitude, well, it's just a rite of passage, you know. I mean, we all drank and smoked, and we're all fine. It's a different... It's a really different landscape now. It's a really dangerous thing for kids. And you just don't know if they're going to get addicted or not. They may experiment, and they may be just fine. A lot, not everyone that uses drugs and alcohol becomes an addict, for sure. But you really don't know, and particularly if you have that genetic predisposition, really important to get your head around with your partner, you know, what is our standard? I had some parents I worked with... Um, had a really hard time because their kid was coming home from college and they talked about how no drinking, and, you know, no drinking, no drugs in the high school, I mean, in, in our household, rather. And so um, the kid walks in and the dad says, hey, let's pop a beer and watch the game. 
And the mother is, you know, catatonic, like we've talked about. But I mean, this it's like a really little thing, but and then what do you do? You know, sort of like you're going to have a big fight in front of your kids, and not good. So you're really saying, are you, are we on board together on this is important. And no value judgment on what it is, you know. But like, for example, look at your behavior. If you're smoking weed and you're telling your kids not to smoke weed, that's a tough one, because again, they hate the hypocrisy. It's really hard for them to buy into that. And um, so look at your behavior, look at the message you're giving, and create your value system around it. Um, this is kind of what bad parents do. <laughs> um, you know, as I said, it's the normalizing. It's not believing their kids is using alcohol and drugs. This is a study that was done in Marin County, actually. 85% just don't believe their That's denial. I mean, we know you've seen these numbers. Lots going on. And you've heard our panel who've been really forthright and said, no, this is what we think is going on. So there are drugs. Kids are using them. And then not talking to them. You have to take every opportunity you can to talk to your kids. And they may roll their eyes. Are we talking about this again? Yes, we are. This is really, really important to us. Just as important as you looking an adult in the eye and saying hello and putting your best foot forward. This is right there with those values. I mean, we really believe in this and we really want you to pay attention. Um, this is something I'm not going to show. The family genetics genogram. This is a visual way to talk to your kids about addiction in your family. So it goes back several rungs. It's used in therapy to remember names in the family, like who's the grandparents, the parents, and so forth. So the bottom rung is the child, and you're talking to Mary, who's circled right there. And you can see all the A's indicate the generations of alcoholism and um, addiction in the family. So some kids, you know, maybe they get tired of talking about Uncle Bill, but maybe you can visually show them. It wasn't just Uncle Bill. We have this everywhere. So for you, having a drink of alcohol is going to be, could be really different than for other people. So you have to be really, really careful. And I would suggest avoiding it, you know, because this is, this is um, in our, our familial history. There are personality traits associated with addiction, and the piece of this is just to know your kid. Spend time with them. You know, we, we think we're not in our cell phones. We are. We think we're not distracted. We are. Like, just hanging out with them. You know, we just, it seems like we have an era now of these kids are overscheduled, we're overscheduled, but... Kids really get it if their parents want to be with them or like their company. And that's so important versus uh, the, is the parent just over there telling them what to do or you know, lecturing them. So if you have time to just hang out with your kid, really, really important. And the earlier you do it, the better, because if you kind of swim in in high school, they'll look at you like you're some alien and go, you know, what are you doing here? But like if you've gotten used to it where you have activities you do together, hang out, it's really good to do. Um, you know, a lot of our kids are suffering, but a lot of these are um, personality traits that make the world a hard place. If someone's hopeless and helpless, they're lonely. They're really lonely. And if they're really lonely, all kids want to, you know, want to have friends. And we all do. All of us. We're social creatures. So helping them if they have any of these um, these issues. Anxiety, sensitivity, very hard. They're always, they're kind of not comfortable in their own skin. I've had kids say to me, you know, I never really found my people. I just don't feel, I feel different from other kids. And that's really a red flag. Sometimes if they have other things they like to do, maybe they really like to, I don't know what the activity is they really love to do, that can be okay. But socially, if they haven't kind of found a group of friends and they're just kind of out of it and lonely, that's dangerous because drugs are going to be very seductive for these guys. 
um, sensation seeking. If you have that child that's the moth to the firelight, always wants to be right up there trying everything new. You know, that's a, that's, um, a trait we say that's associated with addiction. Other risk factors are going to be transitions going from 8th grade to ninth grade, or particularly if they're changing school. It's nice that you guys have this continuous program here. Um, unrealistic parental expectations. This is a world biggie. Particularly when you're in a school, we have an epidemic of unrealistic parental. And I say unrealistic because expectations are super important for all of us and really important to give our kids. We value them. We have expectations for them. But if they're unrealistic, you know how miserable that is? You have to go to Harvard, Stanford, and Yale and your kid's, you know, getting B pluses and working hard. But, you know, that's not, that's not going to do it. And they feel, they feel terrible about themselves. They absolutely hate themselves. And that's what we're doing to them by insisting they go to these top-tier colleges. There's a college for everyone. You know, letting them hit their stride, kind of figure out it's going to be okay and do their best, and that's good enough in this family. You know, if you're doing your best, that's, that's great. And, you know, I mean, you can't, you just, it, you riddle them with self-hatred when, when we do that. They just, don't, and they get depressed and don't want to do anything because they can't. It's like being in some job, you have some boss, everybody clobbering you saying, you know, you're doing a terrible job. What do you want to do? Say, I'm going to work harder. No, you basically want to freaking quit. And that's what the kids want to do. So we have to be really aware of that because it's an epidemic. There's very easy access to drugs and alcohol. We all know that. Um, one thing, modeling in terms of parents. If you want to have alcohol, it's fine. Just drink responsibly. Do not use it for stress control because we have kids working hard during the week, blowing it off on the weekend, saying this is my chance to really, you know, hit it and binge drink and so forth. So the more you can have, you know, have alcohol, enjoy it with your meal, talk about it with the meal, hopefully. Do not glamorize. I mean, none of that. That is just verboten. That's cr and parents do this, you know. Yeah, you should see me in high school, you know, I'm really tied when I was like, be quiet. We don't do that. We don't do that. <laughs> so drinking responsibly. Or, you know, the old, oh, I had a horrible day. I want my glass of wine. Okay, have your glass of wine, you know, but be quiet. Don't announce it. Don't say, don't look at them and go, I, I, I have my glass of wine. You know, because that's, that's, my, that's what they're thinking. That's how we control our stress, right? We have a drink. I mean, no, 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 no. You got to say, I'm going to go walk the dog. I'm just going to go, you know, I'm going to go meditate. I use headspace, whatever it is. You know, something, so you're modeling stress control because that's what, they have so much pressure. That's what they're, that's part of what this is about, a huge part. But when I talk to kids, do you have any comments on that when you say, why kids are using, I mean, we have curiosity, but I think we have a lot of stress going on. Um, do you guys agree with that? Any comments? That's why kids are kind of blowing it out in the par party world on the weekends. Yeah, I see that a lot. It's like, oh, I just took a practice SAT and it's the weekend. I'm going to do whatever, smoke or whatever. Yeah. And I see that a lot, especially just being efficient. It's naturally very stressful right. uh, environment. You see that a lot. Yeah, thanks. And then, like, uh, times when you have, like, uh, oh, it's finally spring break or oh, we have a three day weekend. Like, those are like, especially times when kids feel like they're about to lose interest. Because they have like time to recover, I guess. Yeah, well said. Sure. Sort of what grade does it start in a way? 
<laughs> right. Yeah, it should always be a topic in your household. Um, and they may not be telling you, you know, they may, or maybe they'll just do their own thing. And But what do these guys think about that? When is it a topic? Or okay, um, <laughs> like, I knew it was happening, like, 10th grade. Like, for sure, 11th grade is, like, a lot of people start getting more involved with it. But, like, I know it, it does start happening earlier as early as, like, 8th and 9th grade. I didn't really have friends with that, those experiences, but I mean, it does happen, but I would say like by 11th grade, it's like the most prevalent, probably. Yeah. Question? Assuming you all have fairly healthy habits and you're sitting here, is there a time you don't feel like you're in the minority? Um, maybe at the parties. What kind of strategies do you employ to sort of deal with those difficult situations when you feel like you're not part of I think a lot of, um, like, someone was talking about, like, oh, my parents are going to drug test me. I don't, I, I've never tried that, I don't know, but, but I think a lot of it is sometimes, like, I'll be in a situation and I'm like, okay, I have field hockey, I have field hockey, I have, like, training this whole weekend, and, like, I really care about doing well in that, so I'm like, I, and it, explaining that is, like, kind of, I think I've found like, a pretty good strategy for, like, justifying, I guess, some behavior, it's like, I really want to do well in my game tomorrow, or something like that. And I think um, if you like, if you kind of like build up a reputation like I, I don't do drugs, I don't drink, then like people like will eventually like just respect you for it and they'll they'll acknowledge that like they understand why and then they'll just stop pressuring you. Um, and then like that that's what like has worked for me and you know I still go to like hang out with people and I just. I mean, it's a, like, it's a little awkward sometimes, like, I'll be honest, like, like, when everyone else is drunk and you're just kind of sitting That's there. That's fun. Um, but, like, <laughs> I call it holding the empty room. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, but, like, I don't know, you, you kind of, like, just get used to it and then yeah. you find your own way. I don't think every kid like um, use excuses like oh like like we've talked about like no because I have a sport event tomorrow or no because of this or no because of that and it's like situational but like the best way to go about it is to just be like no I don't I'm not going to drink because like, I don't want it and like just saying that and like I, I have a friend who like she goes to all the parties still is like invited to everything but she just like People know after maybe the first like three or four that she went to that she just doesn't drink because that's just her value, and no one asks her anymore. Like it's not a big deal. People don't like pressure her about it or ask her like why don't you. They just know that okay, that's her value, so they don't need to keep asking her about it. So like the hardest way to say no, I guess, in the beginning is saying no just because just because no. no. no but excuse. yeah, but then that like quickly becomes just like the norm for you, and people know about that, and it gets a lot a lot easier to just. It's a really good topic. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting because we talk about this in the classroom a lot, and it's sort of like, how do you stand up for your values? And some people can say, I just don't do, I don't want to do that, and it's, and they're they're fine with that. Some people really need an excuse, you know, I got to leave out a dentist appointment, I mean, whatever it is, or you have a sporting event or whatever, which can be true too. But, and some people, but but what's interesting is, um, I think that's really true. Kids aren't shunned for not using, particularly if they're you know, solid and, no, I just don't want it. I don't feel like it. There's a million ways to say no. And we talk about that a lot, and everyone has to sort of figure out what's the best way for them to say no, you know? Um, but they're not pressured to use. I mean, it's really, we talk about how it's internal pressure. It's internal pressure to fit in. It's not like someone's saying, you got to do this or you're going to be a dummy, you know? No, it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. I think that's really a good point. You know, I also think our kids live in the moment. So we can try that, but to just sort of sweep in and say that isn't all, you know, this is why you should, it, that could be way overwhelming and they can't really, they think of it, yeah, that's Mexico. You know, they just, that's the way our kids are. I mean, I know, but, but it's, it's not like that's their world every day. You know, so it's hard. But I think it's a, a wonderful thread to talk about as part of it. I just don't know how impactful it is. Um, I think the global warming example was a really good one, you know. I think also just one thing 
uh, this is like with, uh, like the us being like here today. Um, I think it's important to realize that like yes, we are here. We are. I'm. I can't see for everyone, but like I'm very open and willing to talk about this. I think it's really important that parents know about students and have the ability to have a direct access to students and ask questions. But I think it's also important that like we're not saying like good students versus bad students, or like that, oh, we're here, so that means we, like, we never drink, or like that, that kind of thing, and like that to make sure that we don't suddenly like start to kind of like say, like, oh, because you don't necessarily want to sit on a panel and like, talk about a bunch of parents, it means that you're like doing drugs, or that you're not as good of like, a person, judging one's like morality based on what So labeling people, yeah, 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 that's so a good I point. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually much, and it's much better in a panel to get kids with different levels of use because you get different perspectives. I think for parents, it's not all about just the kids that have you know never seen a drug or never done anything wrong, or that's just kind of not the norm at all. Um, so parenting styles, a lot of research on parenting styles. So there's the super authoritarian my way or the highway, which produces kids that really want to act out. They're pissed off. They want to give you their opinion. They're critical thinkers. You just say no because I said so. It's kind of like the just say no thing, right? So you're going to have kids that are like, forget this, and get really frustrated with conversations and with dealing with their parents. So they act out and do whatever they want to do. Um, and the really, I would say, I guess, liberal, loose parenting can produce kids that have a hard time valuing themselves because let's, let's picture your kids going to a party and you have no curfew and you kind of would say, oh, you know, lock up when you get in, have a good time, you know, don't wake me up. I mean, you know, kids know what's going on in these parties. They know the dangers. So... Um, this is like my own parents aren't telling me to be home on time or giving me some boundaries. It's really hard for me to value myself. So you get the same issue of kids just not having a strong, not having strong self-esteem. Um, very, it's too loosey-goosey for them. Doesn't help. So kids do need limits. They do need rules, but they need to be able to talk about them. You know, and you can really listen to them and say, I know I'm the most strict parent, I know I'm blah, 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 but you know, this, I'm sorry, this is the rule. And stay with the rule. Don't bolt, because the minute you kind of have a little bit of a crack in that armor, <laughs> you know, they, it's really cute when they're like, you know, four years old, running around the house with little PJs, you're trying to get them to sleep, but when they get 16 and they grab the car keys and say, screw you, and they're bigger than you, it's terrifying. So if you haven't gotten the old, the thing down where you say no, and they know you mean it, very important for them to respect you saying no. And it's never really too late. You might say, oh, I've really been too loose about this. Well, you can, you can change and challenge yourself and tell your kid, you know, I'm really working, say, I'm really working on this. I'm going to set a limit. I really want to hear what you think about it, but we're going to have some rules that, that really stick. I was just thinking another thing about parties. The DD is a really good um, designated driver. I'm, no, I'm not using a DD. That's a good, really good way to stay clean at a party. Do you think? Be the DD. <laughs> yeah. That's usually my excuse when it's just like, 
Yeah, you know, collecting number of friends and parents. I mean, you're really lucky here. You have a community, obviously. It's, you know, you get to know people. But I just think, you know, when kids are, start to go to parties and you get the old, my phone died, and, you know, some of these excuses, having other numbers, ways to kind of track them down, you might need that. So I think it's a really good idea. The safety code is something that can work really well. You can start it in middle school, and it's really fun for kids. It's that attitude of, if you're ever in trouble, you know, I will pick you up, you can call me, no questions asked. You're ever uncomfortable, I'll be there. But it really helps kids if they have some kind of code. Instead of saying, like I had, remember I had the daughter in the popular group? Guess how many horrible sleepovers she had. Oh my God, horrible. So, you know, she would call me and say, is that the dog barking? And I, again? And I knew that I need to go and get her. Instead of her friends going, I'm going to go home. I'm calling my mom. You know, it kind of helps them save face. And they will keep this. We kept it all the way through, like, you know, high school. And initially it was a bad sleepover. Then it was maybe a bad party. And then it's like you're really glad that they're calling you. And you have that little connection with them. So it's kind of cute. And then... Um, of course, talking about the topic all the time. The three to one rule is if you have a child that doesn't talk, like my son, you get in the car, you, you know, you're peppering him with questions. How was your day? That was me. And he would just kind of shrink more and more and more. So the quieter you are, the more they talk, particularly for boys, you know. But if you're too overpowering, it's just they don't want to participate in that. So that's kind of another little tip. These are some resources for you, which I think is also in your handout. Um, really important to go online, learn about these different drugs. So you can talk about them intelligently. You can talk about fentanyl. You know, you can talk about how you know that you know marijuana can be laced with fentanyl. These are important things to know. And now we have about 15 minutes maximum for more questions. The teens are fabulous, so now's the time to really hit up with questions. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is don't be the parent that says, well, you can drink at home with us, and then that's how you're going to learn to drink. Like, no, no, no. Really, the research on that is so poor. I mean, these are kids that end up doing a lot more drinking and driving, and because it's a confusing message. Don't drink, but here, let's have a drink. I mean, so first, no, none of that. <laughs> um, I mean, I think you have to talk to them, listen to them first, and say, you know, what do you, what do you most like anxious about in college, because they all have people that are going off to school, you know. If you have that kind of relationship, you can really find out what's on their mind, what's going on if they say, I'm really it's gonna be a lot of drugs, I'm not sure how to do that, or usually it's like I'm worried about my roommate, you know, I, I mean, you can say you, you feel equipped to handle, you know, being in college and all the freedom you're gonna have. We, we really trust you, you've done a really good job. We've really talked about this, but, are you, are you feeling any you know, nervousness about that, anything we can talk about or I can help you with? And if not, then the message of, you know what, you are so resourceful and I have so much confidence in you. You have managed things so well, even if you've had your, even if you're quaking in your boots going, oh my God, they're going to college. Like, you know, really to tell them, you know, you're gonna, I know you're going to be just fine because our kids, 
for them to have that internal belief that they can get through things and problem solve, they have to have that internal message that, you know, they've handled things well and you believe in them. And that goes a long ways versus, you know, oh my God, you were terrified you're going to college. You sure you're going to be okay? You know, that kind of a thing. It's like, oh, wonder, how would that kid feel? If you're so scared about it, I better just not go, you know? <laughs> so really important to, to tell them how much you, you believe in them, really, and the confidence you have. And if you have, if you have things you're worried about, you can talk about that very openly and say, I remember when I, and oftentimes from your own experience it helps. When I went to school, I, when I went off to college, this is what was scary for me. I wonder if you're feeling that way or I was anxious about or, you know, that kind of a thing. These guys might have some good ideas. That's sweet. Also, we talked a little bit about, you know, here, especially at our school, you know, we have school counselor, we've got the nurse, we've got really great relationship with teachers. So I would really encourage you to talk to your kids who are going off to college about who you're going to get connected to at, at wherever you're going to college. Like, is there a health center? Is there a counselor? Mm -hmm. Is there, do you have an advisor? Like, how do you talk to them about, you know, you don't just send them and say, like, okay, you're an adult now. Like, you say, what resources are there for you so that they learn and that becomes part of their It sounds really um, like a reasonable idea, but again, uh, research-wise, it's if a kid's underage, you know, say, I mean, the better approach is to really say, you know, this is for this. You're, this isn't legal. I mean, this isn't for you. And they get that. Now, are kids going to wait till they're 21 to drink? No, but. It's just a really mixed message for them. And, and I understand every family is different, and you know, so I don't want to, but I think overall, if you look scientifically, as you were saying at the research, it's not generally going to help them to manage alcohol. Yeah. Absolutely. The video game saga is so hard for boys in particular, I know. And I tell them that, you know, I've told them so many times, it's like, you know, 
but you're training your brain essentially to to need this. It's true. If you're always going to videos for rewards, like I'm taking a break from school, I'm going to do this. Like, right. They're you know, similar. Yeah, it's the same part of the brain that's getting activated, too. You're right. We do have a lesson on um, tech addiction, which is really interesting. And we encourage kids to, it's called like exposure therapy. Like, why don't you try, like, take a little, you know, why not today, they usually do four hours or whatever it is. Why don't you do three and a half, like little jobs to see if they want to sort of get off it and see what it's like and, and encourage them to get other things that interest them besides sitting around on the, it's a big concern. Technically, you know, 28, which is not going to happen. I know. It's a problem. I know. It's true. And for those boys, could be, you know, 32. I don't know. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, it's true. Yeah. And, and they should know this like that. Do you guys know, is that common knowledge to you when the veins, you hear 25, it's just that the research is now a lot, saying a lot later, which is really interesting. I know I, we used to say 25 in the classroom, now we say like 28. It's a long ways. Yeah, hi. Hi. So just a Yeah, take advantage of those college tours and really walk around, not just, yeah, to see how things work, yeah. Right, right. Good, good tip. I know. You're right. I know. Well. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Thanks you guys. Wonderful, wonderful.